I'm Tom Schultz, host of Voices of Montana. Thanks for joining us for the podcast today, brought to you by Blackfoot Communications. Does your home qualify for a $70 discount on your internet bill? Blackfoot Communications is proud to partner with the FCC to help ensure that households can afford the broadband necessary for work, school, healthcare, and more. For more information on this federal program and to see if your household qualifies for a discount on your internet service, visit goblackfoot.com slash ACP. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. Good morning, Montana. Russ Fag here, guest host this morning for the incomparable Tom Schultz. Really got a great show for you this morning. We call it the Minority Party Hour, and we are welcoming Representative Kim Abbott and Senator Ryan Lynch. Representative Abbott and Senator Lynch, good morning. Good morning, Russ. How are you guys this morning? Doing okay. Doing okay. Thanks for having us on. Really glad uh, to have you on. Is it okay if I call you Kim and Ryan? Absolutely. Okay, so... Kim and Ryan, we want to talk about the Montana Future Fund, a idea that the Democrats are talking about to help preserve some of the surplus for future generations. But before we get there, I'd like the people on the show to know a little bit more about who Kim and Ryan are. So, Kim, I'm going to start with you. If you were sending a postcard to a long-lost cousin who you haven't talked to for decades, could you give us just a little overview who who Representative Kim Abbott is? Uh, sure. Um, you know, I grew up in the Midwest um, and moved west about 20 years ago to, to Helena. Never left. Um, really, um, you know, enjoy time with friends and family and um, love this community. I represent Helena, um, one of the districts here. And, um, you know, like, yeah, mostly I, uh, you know, I feel committed to uh, representing the community, but in my personal life, you know, I just love time with the people I love. Wonderful. And how long have you been a legislator? I ran in 16 and won um, and ser- started serving in 17, uh, 2017. And Kim, and I if I could us, ask um, you, uh, if you had three big issues that you're passionate about that you bring to the legislature, what would those three issues be? Well, um, I serve on the tax committee and the human services committee. So really figuring out how we invest in our communities um, to make sure that people have access to what they need to be able to stay in their communities um, for their families to thrive and take care of themselves. Um, So those, you know, in one committee, we're funding program, basically. um, And in the other committee, we're deciding on programmatic goals um, that really help families um, and communities. So, um, you know, I want our tax system to be fair and I want... um, the, you know, the structures that we all depend on, um, to be well-funded. Very and well. I wanted so, to say, real go quick, ahead. um, I, I think, I think, you know, my partner, Tara Vizi, um, I sure do. Yes. Access to justice committee days. So Very much. Yes. Really wonderful. With you. Oh, good. Well, tell her, give her my best, please. So <laughs> Senator Ryan Lynch, I want to ask you the same question. You have a long lost cousin you have seen for many years. Just give us a short little overview of who Senator Ryan Lynch is. Sure. Um, Ryan Lynch, I'm from Butte, and so uh, I was fortunate to be born and raised there, and I left for a few years, went to school, and saw a little bit of the world and realized how good we had it back home and couldn't wait to get back, so um, moved back to Butte and been there a lot longer than I think. I'm not that old. Um, so excited to, to represent the community. Um, and in my, my uh, day life, I, uh, I'm a sales guy, so I 
I'm a salesman and a politician. The only thing I didn't do was go to law school. <laughs> Maybe there's still time. Uh, yeah. So, well, Ryan, I have to ask, that. you must be related to J.D. Lynch. You know, that's a great story, Russ. So, uh, no, I'm not related. Oh, my gosh. But when J.D. was in the halls, I used to I get the question all the time, and I would say, oh, yeah, yeah, he's my grandpa. I'd say, <laughs> I'm not related to him, but when you see him, go tell J.D. that you met his grandson. And so inevitably, somebody would walk over and say, hey, I met your grandson. And J.D. goes, I ain't not my grandson. I'm not old enough to be his, his grandson. <laughs> and uh, so now, you know, as, as the world turns, um, unfortunately, we lost J.D. a couple years ago. Right. And uh, his daughter, Jennifer Lynch, is, uh, is serving in the, in the house with Kim. Okay. And so we have the running joke of people go, are you related to, you know, she your wife or she your sister or who is she? I say, oh, no, she's my mom. <laughs> And she's about <laughs> 10 years younger than I am. So everybody goes, what? I said, no, she's JD. So uh, there's multiple Lynch families in Butte. And, sure. Uh, not, not related, but certainly supportive. Well, uh, you probably don't recall. I served way back in the 90s in the legislature a couple of terms. And uh, the, the guys from Butte and Anaconda, the JD Lynch and Bob Pavlovich and Red Manahan and Joe Quillacy, they were the cream of the crop. They were just wonderful gentlemen and so much fun to be around. So um, I'm sure you're from the same cut. We try to be, absolutely. So um, okay. That's okay. It's actually good. So uh, Kim and Ryan, I know you want to tell the viewers about the Montana Future Fund. And why don't you start it off with, you know, I know we have this big surplus. I'm curious how we got there. Can you start with how big the surplus is and your best guess is why we have such a surplus? You know, I'll actually take that over to Ryan. He's on finance and claims, and um, he can talk a little bit about where we where we are in terms of the surplus. Okay, sure. Yeah, Russ, we've got more money um, than we've ever had, and we've got a unique opportunity. Um, and I think you know, really, obviously, the the world that we all experienced the last couple of years was crazy, and and uh, I think that you know the federal government turned on the printing machine and they spend a bunch of money and send it out to everybody all across the world and continue to do so. Um, and I think we're seeing some of the impacts of that. You know, there was some wonky technical stuff with an EPMAP match. Um, but I think, you know, some of the the ARPA money and the Payroll Protection Act, um, you know, what, what I guess what I saw from my perspective is businesses, there was so much uncertainty, they held back cash and just to wait to see what happened and were we going to, you know, was the business cycle going to survive? Were we going to get inventory with supply chain going to come? And I think when you look what happened, you know, uh, you know, a payroll protection program came in and replay, you know, paid for somebody's payroll. Well, that allowed that business to continue to operate, but it allowed them to, to hold back some of that cash, you know, really for a rainy day fund. Um, and I think when you look at that, you look at, Eggs having a pretty good year. Oil's having a pretty good year. Copper's having a pretty good year. Timber's having a pretty good year. Um, really, you know, tourism's having a pretty good year. And everything that Montana relies on is is firing on all cylinders. So, I think if probably anybody listening to the anybody listening to the show, if they're not at work right now, they could probably walk down Main Street and pick up five jobs. Right. Um, and so the economy's cranking, but things are good. And I think uh, you know, really, kind of the the analogy or the, I guess, one step further when you look at kind of the way that those businesses acted and the way that they reserved cash when when there was some uncertainty. I think there's some uncertainty on the horizon. You don't have to talk to too many people to go, it's good. I've got more business than I know what to do with. I can't find people. 
And if I can find people, I can't find them a place to live is the, the conversation that's happening all across the state right now. But those, those businesses save cash and they reserve cash and they held cash back and they paid taxes on it, which is part of our surplus. And I think really when we pivot out to the Montana Future Fund, what we're proposing to do is act in a very similar nature and actually reserve some of that cash and hold it back for those unknown events that are, that are unknown and, and we know at some point will be coming. So Ryan or Kim, whichever, whoever wants to answer this question, I've read that we have about a $2 billion surplus and I've read it could be as much as $2.5 billion surplus. What do you guys think the number is going to come in at? I, I think, I think the, it'll be, but, oh, sorry, go ahead, Lynch. Go, go ahead, Kim. I was just going to say, I think the 2.4 is kind of the number everybody seems to be comfortable with and that's outside of a, a bunch of additional spending as well. Okay. And so I guess a couple of questions come to mind. Um, you mentioned that the federal government is printing money like uh, there's no concern. Um, I'm concerned about the, I think it's about a $32 trillion deficit now. This is not Montana's deal. This is Congress and Senate and the president, both parties. But are either of you concerned about that national debt that we're accruing? You know, you're right that that is a federal issue. And, you know, of course, state to state, we are constitutionally obligated um, to have a balanced budget. Um, and to pivot to the Montana Future Fund, um, since we need to have a balanced budget, it's really important um, that we think about how we save for the future um, and how we anticipate the ups and downs that happen in our economy. Um, and I think that's what we're proposing um, this session with the Future Fund. Um, is to really take this generational opportunity. Like we've never had this opportunity before with the right. kind of surplus, um, give some back. We have Democrats have $380 million proposal for tax relief. Give some back, obviously, you know, um, to taxpayers, but have it targeted on the working class, middle-class families that really need it. Um, so that's property tax and income tax relief. Um, those, those bills are all in house um, taxation right now. Okay, so let's 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 go to the Montana Future Fund, the Democrats' plan on how to spend spend this two point, not spend, but utilize this two point four billion dollars surplus. You just mentioned about three hundred and eighty million dollars in tax relief, and and I guess we could break that down. But before we do that, give us the big picture. Where do the Democrats propose that we put this two point four billion dollars? So, Russ, we recognize that right now um, across Montana there are three pretty big crises that we need to address. Um, one is affordable housing. You know, as, as Ryan said earlier, um, businesses are not able to find people. And one of the reasons that they're not able to find people to work um, is that there isn't housing available um, in their community. Childcare is another big issue for our economy and businesses. Um, we have a really, really, really weak childcare infrastructure in the state of Montana. It's hard to find slots, and so it's keeping people, parents, out of the workforce. We want to address that. And then we have a rising mental health crisis, um, and we really need to address the infrastructure across our state that deals with behavioral health um, and, and mental health. Um, those are three buckets that we are planning on investing in through the Montana Future Fund um, for the long term. We also have a bucket um, for for conservation. Um, and what's the other bucket lunch? I just blanked on it. Yeah. Seniors, um, workforce Senior. development and, you know, seniors as well. Yep. Okay. So we've got affordable housing, childcare, mental health, conservation, and, and, and the workforce and seniors. 
Uh, can you tell us what percentage or what part of this 2.4 billion you would allocate to each one of those categories? Or is it that defined yet? Uh, how far along are you with the, with the actual uh, intricacies of the Montana Future Fund plan? Um, yeah, so we can, we can talk a little bit about that. Our proposal is to put $1 billion into a trust um, where the principal would stay um, and we would, you know, year to year um, spend the interest um, um, earned on that investment. The initial spend um, we're flexible on. We're talking to Republicans um, across the aisle on how much we want to invest immediately in, for example, um, a program to really create a public-private partnership for building supply of housing that's guaranteed to be affordable, both rentals um, and homes, single-family homes to buy. Um, how much do we need to put out in front immediately to make sure that we're actually accomplishing building supply immediately? Because that's one of the problems. We have an affordability problem. It's connected to some regulatory barriers. It's connected to a supply issue. We want to make sure that nonprofits, for-profit developers um, are able to access capital to build housing that's guaranteed to be affordable. And we will use um, area median income levels to make sure that it's affordable. So affordable housing, that is a big deal. Um, how, how do you envision that working? Will you give uh, grants or low interest loans to people to help do that? Will you give tax credits? How, how does that work? How, if I'm a guy that wants to do some low affordable housing, how can I benefit under your program? So our proposal is to create a, um, a program that offers both grants to municipalities and nonprofits and no or low interest loans to private developers. Um, it would be a revolving loan fund on that side so that that money would end up coming back and going back out um, into communities. Um, so the answer to your question is all of the above. We also do have um, uh, we do support a tax credit um, for um, for building uh, affordable housing, but that isn't in the Montana Future Fund. That's a that's a separate program. Okay, so we have Representative Kim Abbott and Senator Ryan Lynch. Kim and Ryan, we're going to take a short break. We got a couple of things we need to do, but we'll be back with you in a couple of minutes. Thank you. Does your home qualify for a $70 discount on your internet bill? Blackfoot Communications is proud to partner with the FCC to help ensure that households can afford the broadband necessary for work, school, healthcare, and more. For more information on this federal program and to see if your household qualifies for a discount on your internet service, visit goblackfoot.com slash ACP. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. Good morning and welcome back to Voices of Montana. Russ Fag here, guest host for Tom Schultz. We're here with Representative Kim Abbott and Senator Ryan Lynch. We're talking about the Democrats' plan, how to spend the $2.4 billion surplus. It is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. They're calling it the Montana Future Fund. We just talked about the affordable housing component. Let's segue over to the child care component. Kim or Ryan, could you tell us uh, your ideas for the child care portion of this? Sure. Um, the child care portion is a combination of a policy that um, – we actually, during the federal emergency, um, we were able to increase eligibility for a scholarship program um, that allows providers to count on slots that will be paid for um, for families that get a scholarship through the state. Um, we actually faced a cut to that on January 1st. Um, so part of, our, um, part of our effort is to increase eligibility for that scholarship fund. It's really important for providers to have 
um, that revenue. Um, it's a it's a tough small business to run a childcare um, business, and we need to help stabilize um, help stabilize that industry. Um, the other thing that we're looking to do is create again a trust that gives grants and loans for in- innovation. Um, so any any childcare business that wants to try something new. Um, and, you know, puts out a proposal um, that wants to start a new business. You know, we want to get capital out into communities for that. Um, so it would work a lot like the housing trust in terms of creating um, an ongoing program that allows for small businesses to apply um, when they have an idea for innovation or they want to expand their business. And I think, Tom, just or not Tom, Russ, to add to that, I think, um, you know, really the, the when we look at workforce, when we look at small businesses, you know, obviously there's a workforce component to this that are providing the actual care. But the biggest piece, the biggest group of folks that, that have, there's two groups of folks really that have slipped out of the workforce. One are people that are taking care of elderly folks. And the other one is, is uh, folks that are taking care of, of children at home. And so there's a component of this. If we can actually get some, some child care, um, you know, we can actually create a workforce as well uh, to help move Montana forward. Excellent. It's two parts. I know we're moving pretty fast, but we've got a lot to cover. I want to move over to the mental health component of this. Of course, I was a district court judge for 22 years and certainly understand the mental health issues that we have, unfortunately, and they do seem to be exaggerated with the anxiety that COVID and other things have caused. So can you tell us what the Montana Future Fund would do as far as mental health for Montanans? Do you want to take that one, Ryan, or do you want me to? Sure. Yeah, go ahead, Kim. Sure. So again, it's a similar um, it's a similar policy um, proposal where we would create an ongoing um, fund that would offer support to community based um, programs and services um, to build new programs and services um, that give access um, to behavioral health services um, or to expand existing programs. I think one of the things that we see is that community by community, the infrastructure isn't there for behavioral health. We have huge needs um, and we just don't have the personnel um, or the infrastructure to meet those needs. And so this is really um, about incentivizing building out infrastructure um, to make sure that people are able to get to the behavioral health care they need. So Kim, what do you, Montana's a pretty rural state. I'm in Billings, but we have a lot of people out in rural places and they don't really have access to physicians or PAs or mental health counselors, are you going to have a remote component of this where people can check in by FaceTime or phone or, you know, something like that? Um, yeah, there's a lot of innovation, uh, you know, Ryan, I, I want you to be able to talk about this too, cause you have a lot of experience with it. But um, one of the things that COVID did is um, help us get better at telehealth. Um, it helped us on the business side, figure out how we reimburse, um, and regulate telehealth. And then on the provider side, it helped um, providers get better at using the technology effectively. So we're in a good place to continue to build that out um, across the kinds of services that people need. Um, and Ryan, I don't know if you want to um, add anything on that. Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's a bill that, that just passed through the Senate the other day that provides parity for uh, telehealth, the same as an in-person visit, um, you know, for the reimbursement for the provider piece of it. And I think to your point, Russ, uh, you know, before I transitioned over to the sales world, I worked in the correctional space uh, for about 13 years. And so the reality of it is, is if, if we don't treat people in the community and we don't give them the resources to be successful, I'm sure you know all too well, they come and stand in front of you 
and then we spend a ton of general fund dollars actually providing services in probably the the least appropriate manner within the jails and within the prison system. And so I think when we look at uh, really the population, it's how do we actually make sure that there is that that ability to access a professional in rural Montana? You know, I think when you look at the state, the definition of Montana, the whole place is pretty rural. And so how do we actually make sure that people have that lifeline when they need it and just give them the hand up to, to remain in the community, to remain employed and to remain a member of their family? So um, I'm interested in the conservation piece. We all live in Montana because we love what Montana has to offer, the mountains and the streams and even the plains. And, I mean, I'm a person that backpacks and mountain bikes and fishes and hunts and does all those things like many Montanans, probably most Montanans. Tell us about the conservation piece that the Montana Future Fund has and what, what, is it, what does it mean? What we're hoping to do with that um, piece of it is make it easier for, you know, folks that um, are struggling to, to keep their land, get easements, um, help, um, you know, outfitters access um, public lands, private lands, and really make it um, just just take care of, um, you know, the, the space that we need um, as people that recreate, but also the space that um, wildlife needs to thrive. Um, so we're, we're really hoping to invest in just like we're investing in all of the other areas, really invest in, um, our, our land. Um, so does that mean purchasing land? Does that mean purchasing easements? Uh, can you define that a little bit? Yeah, I think it'll be a combination of it. And I don't know, Ryan, if you have something, um, something to add here, but I mean, what we're thinking is, um, we need to help families that want to stay on their land. Um, that, that's something that we can do with this. Um, I don't know that we'll be purchasing um, land with it, but, you know, I think that, that that could be in the mix too. Yeah, I, I think, you know, really the recognition, Russ, you, you hit the nail on the head. We all live and work and live in Montana. There's a reason we, we love it. And so I think just given the magnitude of the surplus that we have, this is an investment to actually say, you know, Montana's a treasure. We need to, we need to actually spend a little bit of money to make sure that that lifestyle is sustainable and it maintains. And so it's, you know, it's for the sports men and women, it's for the landowner. And I think it's really to, to make sure that there is some resources behind a conversation to maintain the way of life that we all know and love. I know we're moving pretty fast, but I want to talk about the workforce seniors component of the Montana future fund. Can you tell us a little bit about that component? Sure. Yep. I think workforce. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess as I was listening to the commercial on the break, We'll give, they'll get a two-for-one here, but, you know, you had really OPI talking about how do you get your kids in trades, and, and here's a link, and how do we get you there? Um, and then the very next, you know, the very next one is is a, a local lender that's advertising with you that is talking about how do we actually make sure that your your money stays in Montana. You invest your money in Montana, stay in Montana, and continue to maintain it. And I think, you know, really the workforce housing, or, or the work, the actual development of workforce, um, you're going to see some, you know, money plowed into apprenticeships, into trades, into to really getting boots on the ground and, and making sure that people who learn, who have a skill set um, can upskill within that skill set and, and get the career development that they need to get to that higher wage um, earlier in their career. And to really make sure that, you know, people that want to stay in Montana, that want to work in Montana, can earn a living and can afford to buy a house and, and ultimately enjoy the Montana that we all know and love right now. Anything on the seniors? I think I heard that mentioned in the overview. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, Go ahead, Kim. Oh, on, on seniors, we're really, um, 
looking at provider rates and making sure that we have the workforce in communities to take care of seniors um, in, in their home communities, um, in their homes, whether it's in, you know, a nursing home setting or where they live. Um, I think we all know that we're a rapidly aging state um, and we really need to be thoughtful about creating the workforce we need to make sure that our seniors can age with dignity um, close to home, close to their families. So Ryan and Kim, I want to talk about sort of the difficult part of this equation for the Montana Future Fund, and that is the fact that the Republicans have a substantial majority in the House and Senate and the governorship, including, in fact, I think they have a supermajority. Obviously, that makes it difficult for a Democratic plan. Uh, What is your thought about, will you try to get pieces of your plan through? Um, It's probably unlikely you're going to get the entire plan through. So what's your... What's your strategy to work with the majority Republicans in the House, Senate, and the governorship? Yeah, I think yeah, um, I, I, we're – go ahead, Kim. Oh, sorry. Go, okay. Um, well, I think both Ryan and I are well aware of the political um, context that we're operating in. Um, we have conversations across the aisle. I think there is a lot of energy on housing, property tax relief, child care, mental health, so we, we have some agreement on what the problems are, and it's about approach. So, yeah, I mean, I think that we're putting out this proposal with the hopes that we can work with, you know, the governor's office and our Republican colleagues um, to move forward a version of it that makes the most sense for Montana. Ryan, your thoughts on that issue? I think Kim hit the nail on the head. I mean, I, I think when you look at we left town two years ago thinking there'd be about $350 million ending fund balance, which is. You know, it's a healthy number, and it allows us some flexibility. And if something does pop up, we come back to town, and there's $2.4 billion, which is just an insane amount of money. And so I think just to be responsible, we need to save some of that money for when, when times aren't as good as they are today. Um, I, I've pointed out to a number of my colleagues that there's more money in the ending fund balance right now than there is in the coal trust fund. And we've seen the good work that the coal trust fund has done across communities for decades and I think, of, you know, very similar concept. I think there's a there's a different set of issues, and, and we're attempting to address those with our, with our uh, our package of bills here. Um, but I think the the reality of it is is we don't need to be reckless and irresponsible. Um, you know, part of the conversation was the federal money, and so and, and inflation. And I think we've all seen it. We've all, you know, I filled up my car the other day with a hundred dollar bill. Um, but I think the the reality is is it doesn't make much sense for us to criticize the feds and go double down and do the exact same thing at a local level. So I'd like some context. We have a $2.4 billion surplus. What is the entire state budget going to be for the biennium for the two years that you guys are dealing with it? What's that number? DPHHS, which is over half of the budget is it's approximately 7 billion with the state and federal. So can we say it's a 13, $14 billion biennium budget? That's a fair number. Yeah, but I was going to say 10, 12, plus you got two. And so um, I think you, when we look at the magnitude of the surplus, we need to have a, a thoughtful and constructive conversation and not rush to get a headline. So that's an incredible opportunity. So, Ryan and uh, Kim, we only have about 30 seconds before we segue into our second half of the show. Final thoughts on the Montana Future Fund. Well, I guess I would just close this out by saying that, you know, again, it's a generational opportunity. We can't rush. My frustration on the House side is that Republicans just shot through about a billion dollars of tax cuts. 
this early in the session. We want to slow it down. We so, want to make smart investments. So Kim and Ryan, thank you for being on the show. We'll be back after this break with Kim and Representative Mary Conference. Right after this. Does your home qualify for a $70 discount on your internet bill? Blackfoot Communications is proud to partner with the FCC to help ensure that households can afford the broadband necessary for work, school, healthcare, and more. For more information on this federal program and to see if your household qualifies for a discount on your internet service, visit goblackfoot.com ACP. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. Welcome back, Montanans. Russ Fegg here subbing for Tom Schultz. Really, nobody can replace Tom, but I'm going to give it my best shot. We're here for Voices of Montana. We just talked to Representative Kim Abbott and Senator Ryan Lynch about the Democrats' plan for the $2.4 billion surplus. They're calling it the Montana Future Fund. We're going to move over to the second half of our show. We have Representative Kim Abbott and welcoming Representative Mary Caffaro. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. How are you? Very good. So, Mary, I looked at your bio, and I have to say, you're a bit of a glutton for punishment. I noticed that you were in the House from 2005 to through 2011. Then you moved over to the State Senate from 2011 to 2019. And now you're back in the House for your second term or set series of terms. So if my math is right, you've been in there for, oh, gosh, nearly 20 years Tell me about that experience. Well, in order to tell you about my experience as a legislator, I'll start with why I ran for office. Perfect. I had, I'd spent uh, quite a bit of time as a direct advocate with families and people who are struggling. And I also was a single mom raising four children. So I thought it important to take that experience and put it into use instead of pushing people's buttons. I thought it would be helpful if I took that experience and pushed the buttons to uh, make good policy that helps. And so in a nutshell, I ran for office because I wanted to help people. And that's where I still am at today. And how have you found the experience? I, I know it's exhilarating. It's frustrating. It's fantastic. It's miserable. But tell, tell me your, your perspective on that experience. Well, I love being a legislator. It's a good opportunity to create a pathway for people in the public, the everyday people on the street. It's a great way to create a pathway for those folks to engage in their government. And so that's what I spend a lot of time doing when I'm campaigning. I make sure that I communicate directly by going door to door and hearing what's important and the issues that people are uh, facing. And then when I come to the legislature, most of my bills that I sponsor are not my own ideas. They're the creation of, of the common folks. And so I find it a great opportunity. I am honored and I am very lucky. Believe me, I don't, I don't take it for granted how lucky I am to hold office considering where I come from. And I, you know, I have to thank those who went before me, including people like my dad who fought for the right for a woman to hold office. And, so I love this process. I love the diversity and the opportunity to help people. So, Mary, I think uh, one of the unsung heroes across the world, actually, are single moms. And um, I just can't imagine how difficult it would be to raise four children uh, with, by yourself. But you've obviously done it. Obviously, you love your children very much. And I know this is going astray, perhaps. But I, th- I like people to get to know our guests a little bit. 
Tell us who your four children are, how old they are, and what they're up to currently. All four of my children have graduated from college, and my goal in life was to raise children who were good people, cared about other, and were committed to the community. I also had the goal of I would like, I wanted to see my four children graduate from college and be able to experience economic security and not at someone else's expense, but by doing good things. And so all four of my children have graduated from college. My oldest one's name is Margaret Swain. She's a nurse and a social worker. My second one is Haley Swain. She's a filmmaker. She's not in film. She's behind the camera, one of the few women who are. And then my son is Joseph Swain, and he recently graduated from college as an airplane mechanic. And then my last one, I call her the caboose, Kenji Swain. She also was a single mother. She's currently married and works as an OB nurse in Bozeman. So those are my children, and I'm very proud of them because they were raised, you know, in a, in a family that where they had to work. They had to work, and they had to contribute. They had lots of, of responsibility, and I'm not going to be the poster child for, for a good social safety network, but I'll tell you, without it, we wouldn't have made it. Well, congratulations, and Wonderful job with all four of your children. I hope they're listening and, and kudos to you for children for uh, contributing to our state and, and our community. Thank you. So Thank I you know so uh, Kim and Mary were here because you guys would like to talk about affordability and access to health care, uh, funding uh, community health care providers at proper rates, uh, spe- specifically to keep our nursing homes from closing. So I guess I'd like one of you to kind of open up as to why these are important issues for Montanans, and then we'll move into the Democrats' plan to deal with these issues. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to let Mary has a lot of expertise on this, so I'm going to let Mary um, set the stage here. Sure. Okay, and I apologize if if I'm repeating, but it it is important to talk about nursing homes. Currently, uh, 860 elderly people, many of them who are suffering from Alzheimer's and and dementia have been displaced. So 860 and counting elderly people have been displaced, displaced from their communities, from their friends and neighbors who are caring for them, from their families and all that is familiar to them. And in some cases, people who have generationally lived in a community. So that's one number to, to take note of, nearly 900 elderly people. And these are people who have, in some cases, worked their whole life or raised children and are currently not taxpayers, but uh, have been left out of the Republican tax plan. Uh, Second, there are 11 nursing homes that have closed down and counting. I heard of a new one that's closing down in Lincoln County. Those nursing homes are from Hamilton to Malta and all points in between 11 and another one in Lincoln County. And so what I'll say is, how did we get here? Well, it's years of neglect. It's years of neglect by the Republican legislature, and I'll tell you how. I am on the Subcommittee for Health and Human Services. That is the Budget Subcommittee. I'm the Vice Chair of Approps and also was of Finance. And I also have been on the Policy Committees in all different varieties, um, member, Vice Chair, Chair. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I'll tell you that we hear constantly and we have heard for a long years and years and years about how underpaid underpaid providers who care and the workers who care for these folks how underpaid they are how the cost of doing business is much higher and they have been neglected and ignored so it's no surprise to me that we are at the point 
where we at where we are and that is that the consequence of ignoring a very important sector of our population okay so folks remember you can text a question to 781-627-5483 that is 781-NBS for Northern Broadcasting System Dot live so seven eight one MBS live and by the way we have a question texted in for either one of you it's from Casey from Great Falls it's not quite on this topic but he would like your opinion he says regarding this historical state funds and I think he's talking about the surplus probably what are your thoughts on the educational money following the student. The educational money following the student, I am not totally sure what that means. Um, I don't, I'm not on the education subcommittee. I think and he's so probably I, talking about uh, should those funds follow the student if they want to use it in a private institution? Oh, I understand. Uh, our public education is the cornerstone. It's the great equalizer, and I do not think so. There's not always perfect situations, and that's why. Democrats have fought hard to preserve school-based services for children who have disabilities. Those were, those were way, way underfunded. And it, it, for a long time, there was a collaboration between families, schools, and the Department of Health and Human Services. Where better to provide services for children than in the schools? And this benefited all students, not just students with disabilities. And it created, like I said, a path to um, assimilation, a path to success and inclusion. And the Republicans cut that program. Um, so I support public education 100%. It's just a great equalizer. Mary, would you like to add anything to that? Or maybe that was, I'm sorry, Kim, would you like to, or excuse me, Kim, would you like to add anything? Nope, don't need to add anything. I, I share Mary's feelings. On okay. So um, Kim and Mary, we're going to be right back. We're going to take a, a lengthier break. Uh, folks, we're with Voices of Montana. We're with Representative Kim Abbott and Representative Mary Caffaro talking about the Democrats' plan for this $2.4 billion surplus. We'll be right back with Voices of Montana. Does your home qualify for a $70 discount on your internet bill? Blackfoot Communications is proud to partner with the FCC to help ensure that households can afford the broadband necessary for work, school, health care, and more. For more information on this federal program and to see if your household qualifies for a discount on your internet service, visit goblackfoot.com ACP. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. Welcome back to Voices of Montana with guest host Russ Fagg, Representative Kim Abbott, and Representative Mary Caffaro. Uh, Mary and Kim, we are here to talk about uh, funding community health care providers proposals, particularly nursing homes. We've got this $2.4 billion deficit. I'd like to put a little more flesh on the plan. What are the Democrats proposing specifically for health care for nursing homes? What kind of money are they looking at and what kind of proposals are you guys looking at? So uh, I'm, I'm happy to take that one, uh, Russ. And by the way, thank you for having us. I really appreciate Glad it. Glad to have you thank on the you. show anytime. Yeah, you have a you, you have a nice way about you. It puts the speaker at ease. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm glad. So 
The Democrats have tried numerous times. I mean, we have for a long time tried to get more funding to nursing homes so that they wouldn't experience the workforce shortage and be able to train folks to care for our loved ones the way that our loved ones need and deserve. But the governor opposed those attempts. And and this is what the governor said. We will do a study on provider rate, adjust provider rates, and we will make sure that we understand the cost of doing business in Montana. And that study cost millions of dollars. And so here we are. The study has come out and the proposal in the governor's budget does not pay for the cost of doing business in Montana. It's very much lower than what it should be. And that's just, I mean, if we want to stop nursing homes from closing, if we want to stop people from having to move out of their communities and what's familiar to them, some at the risk of family ties, some at the risk of their lives. And I'm not kidding you. I hear from people regularly who have had to move clear across the state in order to find a nursing home who could care for them, unable to have those connections with their families. They've ended up withering away and dying. And so this is a really important issue. And to that end, we have a bill that will be coming out soon. And what the bill does is it funds the the cost of doing business providing the essential care for people who need it, the cost of doing business. It funds Medicaid provider rates at the cost of doing business. And this is not an expensive proposal. It's essential, and it's what the study concluded. So what is the fiscal note on that bill, if you have that fiscal note at this time? I don't have that fiscal note yet, but it is about $56 over two years. Okay, so... the healthcare, industry, the healthcare industry is Montana's biggest industry. It is our number one industry. Now, tell me where you can invest in people's lives, invest in our economy, and get a match. So when we spend money, we make money, and it goes directly into the number one industry. It's a win-win, and that would be a two-to-one match from the federal government in some cases, and in some cases, a nine-to-one match. It's much like highway dollars. Every dollar we invest we get more money. And that goes into every community in the state, every corner and all across the state. It doesn't discriminate against rural and favor urban, every community in the state. So that's what our bill does. It invests in Montanans so that they may be in their own communities, receive care in their own communities and strengthen their families. Thank you, Mary. And Kim, I had a feeling you wanted to add something to that. Yeah, all I would add is, you know, Mary's been our caucus's champion um, on this issue, um, not just this session, but in, in for years and years prior. Um, and the thing that I really want to say is um, the folks that that take care of, um, you know, the seniors in our lives, um, our parents, our grandparents um, deserve to be paid um a wage that they can live on and take care of their own families on. And that's really what Mary is trying to accomplish here. And, um, you know, she, like she said, uh, the governor said, we're going to look into this. We're going to get professionals to do a study. Um, it really looks at what the cost of doing business is and what we need to invest in and then underfunded it in his budget. And we're going to fix that with Mary's bill. So we are here with Voices of Montana. They call it the fastest hour in radio, and truly it is. Uh, Representative Kim Abbott and Representative Mary Caffaro, unfortunately, that's all of our time. But I want to say thank you to both of you and also Senator Ryan Lynch for being on the show this morning. 
It was awesome to hear from the Democrats' perspective of what to do with this $2.4 billion deficit. Again, we thank you for being on the show, and we'll be anxiously watching the legislature. I wish you guys all the very best, and God bless to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Voices of Montana. Comments and opinions heard are those of the host or callers, and not necessarily those of this station, sponsors, or Northern News Network. Join us Monday through Friday at 9.06 for Voices of Montana.